Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends where you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who feels like a true podcaster for the first time, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, with uh, fun technical setup and difficulties, I am coming to you live from the from the uh, the small closet with a curtain hung behind to deaden the sound. Hopefully, you understand the lengths that I go for you, my dear friends, dear listeners. Uh, to to you know, it's not my mother's basement, but this is probably the second best, uh, as close as I'll get to ever being a true blue blooded podcaster. When you think about like podcast and blogger stereotypes, it's like mom's basement closet or like one and one a. And so I'm glad that Reagan has joined you in uh, the closet for this because um, it's not a, it's not a Longhorn Republic podcast without uh, Kyle's dog, Reagan. Reagan is just, he's, he's, he's a member of the team. The unofficial third member of this podcast. Uh, sorry, is, Mike Roach. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Mike, you've been replaced. You got to come back on. Uh, Reagan takes no weeks off, Mike. Uh, he is he is uh, 15 years old and he is jacked up with puppy zoomies as we record this uh, Tuesday evening after maybe he's still feeling my stress from the, the Longhorn basketball game. We'll talk about that, Gerald, but what we will do is talk in the dulcet, deadened, beautiful sound waves of my downstairs closet. Kyle. Two stories with multiple closets. Look at the wealth. So we'll talk about Texas basketball. Uh, two big games, two different results. Uh, we'll also talk about football. A lot of random football stuff happening. You've got the bowl announcements. You've got portal at entries. You've got all sorts of fun stuff. Volleyball taking care of business in the NCAA tournament and bringing home awards to boot basketball. Uh, a similar week to the uh, women's basketball team. Similar week to the men's basketball team. And swimming does what they do. Um, so, number two basketball. The Creighton game. I actually watched that game uh, for, on the seatback video. Uh, screen on a Delta red-eye flight from Boston back home after a work trip. But Texas knocked off number seven Creighton. 72 to 67. 72 to 67 doesn't really betray how, like, this game felt it in hand for the entirety of it. So Texas, um, with a relatively uneventful game against Creighton as part of the Big 12 Big East battle in the mood, uh, before blowing a 10-point lead on a big uh, Tuesday matchup against number 17, Illinois. They led by 10 in the second half, led with like less than a minute left on the clock, but um, managed to miss a couple of field goals, miss a buzzer beater, fell 85 to 78 in overtime. Their first game of the year outside of the Lone Star State and um, didn't didn't turn out as we hoped. Yeah, I mean, uh, for, for, sorry, sorry with the Illinois game because it's fresh, right? I mean, this, this was... Um... This is an interesting team, an Illinois team that has a you know an elite eight type of, of ceiling. Maybe even if things break their way, a Final Four. They have the talent. Uh, if, if if Matthew Mayer gets to play um, Texas every week, they, they're number one team in the country. That guy, I don't know what has happened to him. I guess coming from Westlake and not getting recruited uh, to UT, he plays 
I, if you look at his, his career best four games have to be every single time he plays Texas. Um, it seems to be uh, a trigger for him, but as he played old teammate, um, Brock Cunningham, I mean, he couldn't miss. It's funny to watch uh, a truly elite shooter in the Creighton game, you know, go ice cold in a way that was uh, really kind of unheard of. You you saw Mayer shoot as though he was, you know, uh, Steph Curry uh, and Clay Thompson's monster. Um, It was was crazy. The kid was, I think, six for six from three. um, And a lot of them were like dribble, step back, James Harden, three-point. It just... Stuff that shouldn't have gone in went in. He was he was super hot. He was an incredible defender. He just played great, and 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 that was the story of the game, right? Even with um, ups and downs, and, and this was Texas' first time trailing in a second half this year. Um, they had a chance, and they honestly should have won this game. Um, there was there was a you know a lack of options in the second half uh, to be able to score when they. Would get to the basket, but they they had you know double digit blocks at the rim. Um, I think at one point they had like you know they were two of their last ten of of layup distance shots. They just they, they couldn't get the ball to go in um, because of the great interior defense. And you have to give credit. Um, I, I I think you know uh, Illinois is one of the better t- coach teams. That was a um, a coach who, when when we were in the search, you know, Beard's name was obviously towards the top, but another another name that uh, Brad Underwood that people really liked. Um, you know, they they look like a well coached team. They executed a game plan well. They kept Texas from scoring out of the paint. Um, they made Texas not be a guard led team, which they'd been all season. And you see a little bit of a, a little bit of a crack, right? No one thought this would be a team that ran the the four and one undefeated, but see a little bit of crack when when you don't get the Marcus Carr and Tyrese Hunter kind of. Um, uh, performance that you've had through six games uh, so far, or seven, I guess, counting counting uh, this one. But uh, you know, th- through the first six wins, um, if you, if you don't have that game plan, what does Texas rely on? And it, it looks a little shaky in the second half and overtime. Yeah, and I think that was. Um that was my issue. I think toward the end of the game, it felt like they weren't running the sets, they weren't running the pick and rolls, they weren't feeding. Uh, it, Early in the overtime, at least a couple of possessions, they tried to feed Timmy down low, and it worked really, really well. And then it felt like Marcus Carr hero bar, ball um, after Hunter went out, after after Tyrese Hunter went out with his cramp, right? Kind of like Marcus Carr turned on the hero switch, but it was the fault. The shots weren't falling, right? And I think we saw that um, on the last possession of, of regulation. Now, granted, like you put the ball in your best player's hand and see what he can do, uh, but I felt like he rushed that shot. I feel like there were some opportunities for uh, just something different than what he took uh, in that. And I think the hero ball again failed him, um, like we've seen it. And, and I think the frustrating thing for me in this game, Kyle, because there was a lot of good in it, but it felt like one the Texas Bigs. We saw the problem that we were worried about in preseason. We saw we t- we talked about Texas. Do they have a guy that can compete down low? Do they have a body that can play and finish at the rim? And at times, Timmy Allen looked like that guy. And at times, Texas got blocked a lot. Like we saw that, especially late in overtime. We saw ten, what ten or eleven blocks at the rim. Um, those last two turnovers of of the overtime period, right? Like that happened on back to back possessions. And so, like for me, like that is the concerning thing. And and I mean, college basketball is generally a guard league, so it's not like the most concerning red flag, but. When it's winning time, you need to be able to at least finish at the rim, uh, because if if 
if Marcus Carr can attack the rim in a more aggressive way at the end of regulation, he probably scores or draws a foul, and this thing doesn't go to overtime. Yeah, I mean, look, Illinois is a long team. They have some size. Um, Dane Danger, besides sounding like a really elite uh, Nigerian rapper, um, is also a big body, a Baylor transfer who, um, you know, can can – He's going to be a lot like what what uh, Texas will face down low with TCU, just a big immovable body who has reach, can block shots, can rebound. Um, you know, Mayer played like a big Hawkins. You know, plays big. They have guys with seven foot reach who aren't necessarily big, so they they are a, a big team with a lot of length. They play good defense. Again, they they through not one, not two, not three. It seemed like they were coming in waves anytime anyone got the ball, and Texas couldn't go up and score. Now, it, the refs weren't calling the game that way, where it would have said, just, hey, draw contract and get to the free throw line, at least if they're blocking your shot. Um, and they called it fair both ways. I think it wasn't a ref show or anything. I'm just I'm just saying they clearly said, we're going to let them play. We're going to let it be physical um, a bit. And and so Texas, when they got under, they couldn't rely on, on the uh, on the finish with the, with the length. Those blocks plus another 20 that they disrupted, right? And, and, and you know, could have been even half of those could have been a difference in the game. Um, they they couldn't get to the line early and, and, and do that. And then, you know, you mentioned it, Gerald, that, that basically feed Timmy Allen. If – if Timmy Timmy Allen for this team to be successful, I think needs to have they had a you know an, an early game plan where they fed him and, and he you know got eleven of his points in the first half. Um, he probably had like six of those in the first you know few possessions, maybe even eight. He got going really hot. They were they were featuring him, and I like that as a, as a change of pace. But I don't necessarily like your offense running through Timmy Allen in crunch time because he's a little bit limited. He's not he has a you know eight inch vertical. He's not going to be the you, guy. You he's and getting I might up. be able to out hop him. Yeah, he's not that guy. He he plays that old man in the gym game, and he's really good at it. He's good at finding uh, finding space and hitting mid range, and he, that's always been his game. We've known that. Um, but again, when he's a complimentary piece, I like that a lot more than than like last year when the offense has to run through him. He'll make some big shots. He'll do some things for you. Um, but uh, you know, it it really needs to be if this team is going to be you know where it wants to be. It needs to be a complimentary piece to the guards being able to play. And if the guards can't score at the rim uh, and they're not necessarily hitting their threes, right? Hunter was two for six. He got both of his early. Carr was 0 for five. Um, Rice hit his one, but um, the, the best three-point shooter of the day was Brock Cunningham. Uh, but, uh, but you know, if, if, uh, if you're not hitting your threes and you can't get to the rim, you become a mid-range team, which every analytic in the entire you know, history of the analytics movement in basketball tells you as a defense, that's what you want. That's exactly where you want team shooting. And you, you, don't and you need want the analytics to, to tell you that, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and when you're contesting those as well with long, you know, uh, players, it's it's just you saw what happened in the second half. I mean, Texas just fell off a cliff, right? To me, Allen had, you know, six points in the second half. He was he was fine, but he came down a, a little bit. Hunter, zero. Carr had, I think, four in the second half. They were combined like two for eight. Uh, our, our guards there, Hunter and, and Carr, um, it just they didn't have a lot of the answers, even though they played suffocating defense in the second half, and they really uh, shut down what Illinois was trying to do. What, their offense, you know, Texas was able to uh, basically, you know, outscore Illinois without really being efficient on offense. They were just great on defense. They got some runouts, um, you know, got some, some, some hustle plays, things like that. They're just, it was, it was a little bit sloppy. And then it just was the inability to finish at the rim. And then the, the really, I think the difference in the game, when you, when you sum it all up, we talked a lot about mayor and, and it was his game for the most part, but TJ Shannon jr. A guy who played for two years at tech with Chris Beard was a, a name that I I'd said, you know, watch out for him, right? He was over three in the first half, two for seven in the second half. He had four points going into overtime. 
He finished with 16 points. He had 12 points in overtime. Some of those were free throws. He was the guy who got the ball and, and hit all his clutch free throws. But some of that was also just getting him the ball in, in, in offense, and, and he looked different. He looked like he finally woke up. And that's what he's been playing like this year. He's a 20-pointed guy. He's, he's one, of the, you know, one of the best players so far in this early season going. He's one of the top you know, uh, scorers in the country right now. So it was only a matter of time, and he got it going at the right time. And that, that was the difference. Texas didn't hit their free throws at the end. Yep. They fouled to give them free throws to even get it into overtime, and then the one thing they'd been relying on, which was holding their best player to nothing, he went supernova. And uh, the dam broke a little, but, you know, the sky isn't necessarily falling as we check this. Texas has fallen all the way down to number three in Ken Palm rankings. So I think they're going to be okay. Like, we knew this team wasn't going to be perfect, but it is frustrating because this is a game that you feel they could have and should have won. And you don't want to have the end of the season with, you know, well, we had nine losses, but... Seven of them, man, we really should have won. That doesn't do anything for you, right? Like, I don't I don't really care how many close losses we have. We have to find ways to win this. Yeah, and I think that's, that's the takeaway from this, as we kind of put a close on it, is, like, there are two things that can exist, right? Like, they can – we can both acknowledge the fact that Texas was not going to go undefeated, that there was a lot that went wrong in this game for Texas. They played easily, I would say, probably their their sloppiest game of the year, their, their most – unimpressive game of the year they still had a chance to win it but you can still be frustrated at blowing like blowing a double digit lead with seven to play again that it's not a huge margin but still that's a margin at the at, you know late you know more than halfway through the second half and the opportunities were there and it just seemed to dry up. Uh, so again, Texas not going to go undefeated. They have a chance to get it back uh, this Saturday against Arkansas Pine Bluff back in the mood. And then Rice and Stanford uh, through the next week. We'll be back obviously next week with those. So now's the part of the show where we do a big news dump and we whip around everything else on campus and we down the 40 big football news. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, this Texas officially announced to the Alamo bowl coming up, coming at you on the 29th of December, taking on the Washington Huskies. We'll find out if Steve Sarkeesian has another Washington loss in him. We'll see how that goes. We'll have a, a Washington preview for you here in a few weeks. You've got our friends over at the dog pound that are already committed to helping us. We'll be recording that in the next couple of weeks. We'll have it for you leading up to the game. Uh, B. John Robinson named a finalist for the Doak Walker, Walker Award. Inexplicably was not named as a Heisman finalist. There are a lot of things that were dumb about the Heisman voting. But Bijan, for his trouble, led the Big 12 in rushing, scoring, and all-purpose yards. He's the only player in the nation with more than 1,500 rushing yards and 300 receiving yards. Yeah, I mean, look, I was going to bang my drum on this, but I, I have another one I can bang there. I'll just I'll just say it here. Um, you know, like, it, it's frustrating as a Texas fan when, when likely the best player in the country didn't get invited, and, and that's Bijan. Without burn orange lenses on, that, that – that was him with talent-wise. We knew that coming into the season. And then when you just see production, like Gerald said, he, he led the nation in yards, right? Like in, in tandem yards and rushing and receiving yards for non-quarterbacks. No no non-quarterback got invited. Stetson Bennett had, you know, 200 rushing yards, but he did them on games that people watched. And he's had a couple long runs on busted plays. And they said, oh, that's a guy. You know, he, he was efficiency, I think, somewhere like the 70th best uh, quarterback in the country. Like, he just wasn't good. If you're going to throw an SEC quarterback from a winning team, put Hendon Hooker there. Um, but, you know, um, I get it. 
it, it is what it is. It, it is what it isn't, right? It's it's not the best player in the country. It's the 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 player at the the most popular position for a team that is elite and and likely one of the top five teams in the country. That that is what this award is. Um, usually, your team makes the playoff, and usually, you're the quarterback. If it's a rare year and you're a wide receiver or a running back, you're still you're the most famous guy on that offense, right? Um, and I said offense for a reason. Like it's not going to be a defensive player, not really going to be a running back these days. It's probably not going to be a receiver a bunch. It's going to go to a quarterback 95% of the time. Bijan Robinson, running back. Like elite, had an incredible year. There was times we could have leaned on him more. There was games we, we could have leaned on him more. Maybe we win those games and maybe we're in those conversations where it could have been. But I'll get off my pedestal. I just don't be frustrated with the Heisman voters. They are exactly who they thought we were. Uh, and we let them off the hook. Uh, Caleb Williams is my, you know, my. I think logical pick. Max Duggan is my heart pick. Duggan, Duggan, baby. I don't want Duggan to win it just because TCU fans just when they talk about Heisman's, they need to be like guys who've been dead for sixty years. I just don't need modern TCU. I don't need that. Like I don't need TCU fans in my in my mentions. Caleb Williams, whatever. I hate it, but it is what it is. It's one of those two. Um, I'll be curious which one actually gets it. The fact that Stetson Bennett wasn't an All Conference quarterback but as a Heisman finalist tells you everything you need to know about how dumb the voting is for that award. I got two words for you that'll solve a lot of problems in this country, including Heisman voting. That is term limits. Texas has (laughs) nine players currently in the transfer portal. The fall transfer portal window opened on Monday. Nine players entered. Uh, Not a ton of surprises here, really. Uh, Quarterback Hudson Card is probably the biggest name you'll see. Uh, Quarterback Jameer Johnson, wide receiver Troy O'Meary, offensive lineman Logan Parr and Andre Carrick. Uh, edge Prince Dorba, safety JD Coffee, edge DJ Harris, and linebacker Devin Richardson. Again, not a ton of these guys were surprises. I think the one that honestly surprised me the most is probably Logan Parr because he was a rotation guy. Like he and Andre Carrick both got in the rotation, but I, I'm not super shocked by any of these. Yeah, I mean, Hudson Card is, is the most obvious one. I think we, we had it confirmed from multiple sources without confirming it You know, early in the season that he was going to graduate. He wanted to graduate a Longhorn. He's done that. He was going to go transfer at the end of the season. Fine. We know that. Um, good for Hudson. We'll, we'll be rooting for him the same way we did Shane Bouchelle. Jamie Johnson is one who surprises me a little bit because he also is in the rotation. And with the idea that Jamison's leaving, I know Watts has one of those locked down and, and, you know, Johnson probably would be third next year as well. Just felt like, you know, even though he didn't have a perfect season, he at least played a decent amount um, early, even with some injuries. You know, I got in all the way, I think. I think he had in the Bama game, um, but he, he played early and, and was a guy who you thought you know could could build. So probably the two defensive backs because we don't necessarily have someone has to step up and take these positions. So JD Coffee uh, or Jamie or Johnson, just because I th- I would think you're going to stick around and see if it could be you if you could compete for some spots uh, with with a few um, upperclassmen leaving uh, from from the defensive backfield. Uh, but but otherwise, yeah, I think you know Carrick was playing as a tweener tight end, and I hope he gets to go play somewhere because we like that guy and Par. Yeah. Bled burn orange, so I get where you're coming from. Dorba was a he big loved recruit. Burn orange so much it comes out his hair follicles. <laughs> Dorba was a big time recruit who a lot of people had high hopes. We hadn't really seen it. DJ Harris has a lot of talent. I still think he'll probably you know end up doing well somewhere in the right in the right fit. He'll, he'll he has talent there to uh, to get on the field and show it and to get a little coaching under him. Devin Richardson, a guy who transferred in and, and just got passed up. So um, again, running through those, no one no one 
breaks my heart. We're not in a situation like OU has been in or Oklahoma State, uh, most notably, and obviously Texas A&M. Um, that's not to say it's it's not over. There could still be some more. And we also know after spring practices, there's a second portal around where people don't find themselves like we talked about getting in that competition and coming out of that competition. So there's more to come, but it also opens up spots for incoming, right? It opens up spots where we can fill other positions of need. So I would imagine they're going to be looking um, at linebackers. I imagine they're going to be looking at safeties. I imagine probably a, a playmaking wide receiver. So there's, um, you know, there, there's some some things that they're still going to be looking to bring in. Um, and, and it's really unfortunate we didn't get to see that in Isaiah Nair last year. Um, you know, but uh, but you know we've seen. Texas take transfers and, and one-year transfers or multi-year transfers. Think about Watts. Think about you know certain left tackle Calvin Anderson, you know, running back. Uh, you know we, we've we've had skill positions come in and, and fill gaps and be really great uh, additions. So I, I'm I'm you know I'm curious to see where we go when we start getting the ins. I think we'll probably slow a little bit for now with the outs, though there may be a few uh, a few more coming. Yeah, it seems like a lot of the guys that are on their way out are also guys that. Texas was going to look to bring more elite talent in in the portal outside of the offensive line. I think Texas doesn't touch an offensive lineman unless it's a two year starter. Like there's no reason to disrupt that rotation. You've got you've got a good eight man rotation. You can replace one for one at this point. Like don't touch an offensive lineman unless it's a two year starter uh, that could come in and immediately is better than one of the one of the eight guys that's in that room right now. But Texas was going to look at a couple of wide receivers. Texas is going to look at a couple of edge rushers and probably a linebacker. Texas was going to look at a cornerback and a safety, right? So a lot of these guys are not only being recruited over, unfortunately, in these last two cycles, but also guys that Texas is probably going to portal over it as well. And and don't hear us being like negative towards these kids. Not at all. This is the reason this is the reason why I love the transfer portal because guys who are probably not going to be able to see the field have an opportunity to uh at least put their name out there and see if there are other teams that are going to bite. And they could decide that the grass isn't greener and pull their name out of the portal and stick around and no hard feelings either way. Like the portal gives kids agency yep. where they didn't have any in the past uh, without burning a year of eligibility. And so I think like I'll talk about it a bang of drum, but this is a net positive, even with all the risks and the downsides. I mean, like I said, I, I like it when the guys go out like Bouchelle and you have a whole Longhorn nation cheering on, like watching your games as though they're their second game of the weekend. Casey Thompson had a little bit of a different reaction just because of some of the things he said. So I hope that, you know, Card and the rest of these guys kind of follow the 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 former, not the latter. And just, you know, Texas fans will will respect you and your decision and, and cheer you on um, as long as you're not, you know, taking little shots on the way out. Right. So just, you know, take the classy uh, exit and, and you honestly will have fans for life with with Longhorn Nation who, who will legitimately cheer you on it when I wherever uh Troy O lands like I'm going to be watching weekly to see you know because once he finally sees the field and can get it healthy and gets in the right system we know he can make highlight catches and it's going to be fun and I'm going to be rooting for him because you know injuries really uh messed with that guy's you know what was at one time really promising career and I think still can be you know but uh all these guys right I'll, I'll be checking in and, and just seeing what they do um whichever team whatever level where they end up um you know we, we were super happy for BJ Foster making all conference at Sam Houston State like I, I want all these guys to succeed elsewhere as long as they don't go to a direct rival. Uh, but you know, it's uh, it's it's there's a way to do it, and I just hope all, all these uh, names and especially a guy like Hudson Card who graduated and, and you know is a Longhorn for life, you know, go out and, and take the Bouchelle route, right? Take the high road, and you'll have a fan base behind you the whole the whole way. Logan Parr. Last thing I'll say, 
got a corporate comms degree and half the time it took me to get my journalism degree <laughs> and, his, and his gpa was probably better at that to <laughs> volleyball advanced to the sweet 16 once again with sweeps of fairly dickinson and georgia fairly dickinson went down like liston 25 to 6 25 to 13 and 25 to 13 in spite of one of their players hitting the horns down court side after just the dumbest thing in the world it was their best hit of the day um when they hit the horns <laughs> and i mean it was very sad she's from houston i can only imagine she was an aggie or something i don't know um tough tough look when you when you get i mean t- we've said it before right losing in in modern day rally scoring losing single digits to 25 is like elementary school kids can probably get six points just because you you miss a hit you put a a serve into the net like anything that doesn't you know score for the other team is is a point for you so these having a combined um you know like 30 uh basically across three sets uh and then hitting the horns down is just it's it's peak uh, chef's kiss, I love it. Um, it, it obviously, uh, you know, didn't didn't upset the horns too much because they went out and did it against Georgia. But did want to give shine to you know the aces. This was an ace specialty. Uh, Eggleston did what she did, the the all time leader. But um, our girl, we were excited when she came because of her performance. Uh, Kiana Liakana tied her career high with seven service aces, um, added four digs as well. But those seven aces, if you remember, came last year against the Longhorns in the tournament when she was playing for Nebraska. So that's what they really honestly brought her in to be the specialist, and uh, she didn't disappoint. The whole team with 13 service aces is ridiculous. Georgia didn't fairly much better than fairly <laughs> Dickinson. Uh, went down, swept 25 to 14, 25 to 16, 25 to 15 in the second round. Texas had eight blocks and nine aces in that. Logan Eggleston did Logan Eggleston things. Texas just cruised. Yeah, this is a block party as well. They held Georgia to a .079 hitting percentage. That's like... We know we get spoiled because Texas led the nation in hitting percentage. They're always in the 300s, sometimes in the 400s. They're really, really good. Really, really good. But but .079 is, is, is not particularly great. So uh, good good work from uh, the, the bigs blocking up front and just uh, making the angles tough for, for Georgia. And they had no answer. Um, love that home court advantage, too. Sellouts, postseason, Gregory, Jim. Where, where else would you want to be? Nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. And they don't have to go anywhere, at least for the next round. Texas going to the regionals for the 17th consecutive season, which is the longest active streak in the country. Texas will host number 16 Marquette on the 8th at the Greg. They'll then play the winner of Minnesota and Ohio State. If they win that one, we're going to say if because it's always an if. But if Texas beats Marquette, they'll play the winner of Minnesota and Ohio State also at the Greg. Both teams, who they beat, uh games one two and three uh to open the season uh not at home so it's been a long time since they've played but if they do get through marquette it'll be a fun rematch between either one of those teams with that texas brought home some hardware ish i guess maybe a certificate or a ribbon i'm not sure how this works but (laughs) six texas players were first team all big 12 players the aforementioned logan eggleston the aforementioned zoe fleck uh, Sage Kai and Ina Torres, Asia O'Neill, Molly Phillips, and Maddie Skinner all received honors with her Big 12 first team award. Logan Eggleston also gets a ribbon for being the Big 12 player of the year. For the third time, 
which is absolutely incredible. Zoe Flett gets the libero of the year. Sage Guy and Ida Torres named the top setter. And Jared Elliott, unsurprising to everyone, gets his ninth Coach of the Year award. Gerald, I just wanted to, to shout out, Eggleston joins some elite company. Your girl, Haley Eckerman, uh, who did it from 2012 to 2014. Um, and also Nebraska's Sarah Paven, who did it uh, 05 to 07. Um, but only the third player to ever get three-time Big 12 Player of the Year. It's, it's pretty hard to do that. You have to be on top of your game for a long time. So we'll be so sad when Logan Eggleston no longer is on the 40 acres, but She's still got a few more matches, a few more at home, and a few more we'll see uh, how far they make it. But a perfect way to cap off a perfect uh, career. I think, Gerald, I believe the all-region team had pretty much the same composition for those first games. Fleck, Sage, KT, Asia, O'Neal, Molly Phillips, and uh, Maddie Skinner joined Logan Eggleston on that team as well. Sticking with the ladies, moving on to... The Hardwood, number 18, Texas women's basketball falls to USF and then beats Southern to split the week. 70 to 65 loss at USF. Uh, USF's not a bad squad. They're, they're right outside the top 25. They got a couple of votes for that. Southern, they absolutely put the boots to a uh, nice way to uh, shake off. A narrow loss is pretty frustrating. Yeah, I mean, tail of two first halves, right? They they had uh, they held uh, South Florida to only twenty eight second half points, but that that slow start they could never really shake it. Even though they had a late lead, sixty three sixty two couldn't uh, couldn't close it out right there at the end. And let uh, USF get back ahead uh, at the at the very end, basically. Um, but against Southern, yeah, forty six to sixteen at the half. Um, in both games, Shaley Gonzalez was was really good. Had her first double double uh, against USF and then 22 points uh, against Southern. Sonia Morris uh, had thrown 20 in that one. Rory Harmon was still working her way back. I like to see um, in one game she had 13, drew two charges. Love to see Rory getting back in, putting that uh, ankle and body to the test. But uh, 10 assists in the second for her fourth career double-digit assist game. Uh, just missed a double-double on that one with nine points. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think this is uh, this is, this is a, a, a team that is – Probably reestablishing and finding their identity now with all the guard play. With how does Shaley, how does uh, how how does Rory with uh, Shaley and Sonia Morris kind of uh, combine with who the bigs are and what the rotations are? So now that they have everybody, they're doing a little bit of that finding out. So um, it's been unfortunate. It probably looks worse than it actually is. Um, with you know the the losses that they've had, they have three against top twenty five, two of those against top ten, and the other is against the receiving votes. So they're not good. You don't want losses, like we said. We don't want close losses. You don't want losses against good teams. Um, but you know, little perspective with some injuries to your best player and a tough, tough schedule to start. Um, you know, Texas just needs to right the ship, get into Big Twelve play, and and I think you know we know this team peaks in March. It's a tournament team, right? Texas will peak in March. Texas will uh, play well in the tournament, and Texas will get things done. I have not lowered my expectations one uh, one bit, one degree for this team. Speaking of high expectations, number one, men's swimming and diving, number one, women's swimming and diving, showed out at the Minnesota Invitational, winning 20 events over the four-day meet that featured – Multiple ranked teams, Minnesota, Wisconsin, California, Arizona, and then Harvard just outside of the rank, the top 25 receiving votes. Yeah, there was. this is a really good meet. Multiple swimmers posting top five, top two, top three national times. We had multiple races where Longhorns finished one and two, and they posted this, the first and second or first and third fastest times in the nation this year. Um, there was This was a really impressive meet. Uh, freshman Lydia Jacoby set a national age group record in the 100 breast, um, finishing uh, right 
right next to Anna Lent, basically they, they put up, you know, again, two of the fastest times in school history. So, um, uh, just all in all, I think that the, the women may have even actually had uh, a more impressive showing. Usually it's the, the Texas men who dominate everyone and they looked really well and they posted, I think at least four, um, or five top, like five finishes of the season. So don't, don't hear me wrong. Uh, but the women looked really, really, really impressive. Like, I mean, they might be more ahead of the rest of the field than the men are as both sit at number one. Again, you're, you're splitting hairs here, uh, saying who's the most number one, um, which I love to be in that position, but, uh, yeah, looked, looked very good. Impressive showing. Next up for the Longhorns divers are heading to West Virginia to compete in the USA diving winter nationals on the 14th of December. The swimmers are done until January. They can rest up, limber up and probably carve up as well ahead of that Texas track opened the defense of their indoor title at the Commonwealth college opener in Louisville, Texas. Again, a big weekend. Brian Heron set an American record uh, for the 500 meter with a sub with a, Sub minute 5987. It's the actual American record, NCAA record, and the second person ever to get below one minute. And that's just the the first of the several like ridiculous times Texas put up. Uh, this it's one of two in that specific event, right? Uh, on the women's side in that exact event, Kennedy Simon posted the second fastest time in collegiate history. It's only overshadowed literally when the other person posts the single fastest in collegiate history. We're talking about all time, you know, hundreds of years of people. People running. Um, no one said it faster than, than Brian Heron on the, on the men's side and, and Kennedy Simon on the women's side. So really, really impressive stuff. Simon, I think, was just a, a hair off the, the um, overall collegiate record. So um, they were rightfully awarded the our favorite acronym, USTFCCA, Male and Female Athlete of the week. Uh, like Gerald said, I think you can go all the way around. The one thing I will call out is uh, Akilah Smith set the world-leading long jump mark uh, the sophomore was the only competitor to break six meters on all, all her jumps. Uh, second best indoor jump of all time on her first one of the season uh, behind Texas great Tara Davis, who, you know, uh, we love on this podcast and, and you know, uh, rooted hard for during her time. It's great to see her replaced immediately uh, with, with, you know, Achilles Smith taking taking that step up. If Coach Flo knows anything, man, he can coach he can coach some jumpers. So weirdly enough, Texas was in Louisville for this, and then they get the rest of the year off for the indoor track season. We'll be back in Louisville for the Cardinal Classic uh, January 13th and 14th. All right, Gerald, let's take a whip around the world and take a look through some burnt orange lenses. Let's start with, talked a little bit of Portal, but some other college football news. The How about the coaching carousel? The other, the, the OG portal there's some uh, some burnt orange interest in some of these i think the, the first and foremost is uh florida atlantic hiring um you know, i'll say about 70 percent of tom herman uh he he looks he looks svelte looks svelte. healthy looks good um looks like this it's amazing what happens when you take a year off from a stress yeah program. i mean uh, like again just, uh, i i hate how it ended i hate some of the things you know but but I think the general consensus from what I've seen from everyone around greater Longhorn Nation is that they're rooting for Herman. They, I mean, I, there was rumors when Cincinnati was was a potential destination. I was worried when they come into the Big 12 that we'll have to play him because I, I, I wouldn't want to play yeah. a, a ticked-off Tom Herman, especially uh, an underdog Tom Herman. So uh, I think he'll, he'll probably – with with Hudson Card probably if if Tom goes to a Power Five team Hudson Card goes yeah to yeah you you're right I, d- I don't know to go to FAU but but you're you're right I mean they they, no. they 
anyway, if he goes to that level of job, you're probably right. Um, but yeah, I mean, Herman's going to take some scalps this year. I, I, I think they, um, I think they have ECU next year on the roster. If I remember correctly, they have a, uh, a, a very big uh, team and I just wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want to be that, that team uh, who has to play Tom Herman with, you know, uh, an off season to get guys up to outplay their, their uh, collective talents. Yeah, I mean, FAU is not a bad land. I honestly thought Tom Herman would end up at a bigger school. That's why, like, the Cincinnati thing kind of made sense. He's an Ohio guy. He's still got a lot of cachet in there for being a coach on that that Ohio State National Championship winning squad. But, like, FAU is not a bad spot for him. He can build his way back I was up. mistaken. Not TCU. Even better, Clemson. Tom Herman's going to take down Dabo in week two. You heard it here first. I would love it. Absolutely love it. Um, other 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 moves. Tim Beck, another familiar Tom Herman name at Coastal Carolina. That one seems a little weird, a little out of the field, but it's fine. Um, the one that you and I are really celebrating, Kyle, is the next one on the list. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see G.J. Kinney at, at Texas State. Um, interesting, like, uh, he was tied to Tulsa where he, he played. You know, he, he has ties to the burn orange, but you know, he's a Tulsa guy, uh, where he finished his career. So, um, was surprised there, but, but Texas state is, it's a really interesting, you know, I, I'm personally vested. My brother played there. It's right down the road from, from UT. Um, you know, a, a lot of coaches who ended up with, with Herman specifically on that staff with, with Nivar and Jason Washington, uh, and a few of those guys who came through, there's, there's a tie to burn orange, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for, for, for Kenny a lot. And I think Texas state, is an untapped potential fertile ground. I think you could probably do something yep. there. You look at what UTSA has done, and it, it, feel, it feels like it can be a relatively similar place. Now, I don't know if they can both be as good at the same time. They may steal from each other's uh, kind of G5 relevance if, if Texas State gets up to the level that they, they want to, and they haven't proven that they can. But at its peak, I think they could be something similar. I mean, if if, if Texas State can compete for some of these kids in in like the South thirty South I thirty five area, like New Braunfels, Smithson Valley, uh, Canyon, Clemens, Steele, uh, Judson, you know, all of those San Antonio, like San Antonio is a woefully under recruited area, um, and like the kids are perfect for the Texas states of the world. You can catch a couple of three stars that that went along that went under the radar. You catch a couple of Texas transfers coming down I thirty five, not wanting to move too far. Like you could do something pretty quick, and it's so weird. Um, Spav completely screwed the pooch in so many different ways, um, and I think GJ Kinney, um, the bar isn't very high for him to clear it. I think he can get over pretty quickly yeah i agree and, and another one that that you know the bar has been low but i i think he can have success i don't know about quickly it may take a little bit of work but it, it feels like just the right hire i i think unfortunately is matt ruled in nebraska i think that's going to be a really interesting one will nebraska ever be the the powerhouse no like the unless they come up with another op you know innovation like the the, the way they ran the option uh and you know find another drug like steroids when before everyone else does i'm kidding we don't know if that's true it's true um Nebraska isn't going to just have the advantages that, that other schools do. They're always going to have an uphill battle. But Matt Rule freaking did it. It, it, it you know, uh, Temple, right? Like it's it's Temple's had like four winning seasons in their entire history uh, of more than seven wins, eight wins, I think. And Rule had two of them. Like he, he he doesn't need a lot. He's a really good coach and program builder. So I think it's kind of a great hire. And then one that I think is a 
I'll say it's an interesting hire. I, I think it's a I think it's a good hire conceptually. We'll see how they play out. Arizona State's going all in on the recruiters. They're going all in on on the uh, we're going to get kids here. We're going to say, look how fun our campus is. Look how attractive our our, our student body is. Um, and and you know we only Gronkowski can can confirm you only have to take six hours in four years to actually graduate. I'm kidding. It's not that bad. Uh, but Arizona State is a place you can go be a professional football player. You just focus on football and do whatever else with education and they hired Rashad Samples and Brian Carrington who know how to get dudes through the door at multiple institutions it feels like it should be a home run hire but it's a little bit interesting where they're going to slot in there I'm of two minds about this right like Arizona State recently and now relatively recently announced like a multi-million dollar NIL collective and have these two guys on the recruiting staff which is great right getting talent on campus is half the battle right it's about Jimmy's and Joe's but Wide receivers is not necessarily a spot where you can hide your recruiter and cornerback is even less so. And so seeing samples who has bounced around between running back and wide receiver, he spent some time in the NFL, but there have been questions about his position coaching at spots and at times. Um, And then Carrington has never had a positional coaching. It's like, if you're going to hide a guy like cornerbacks is not the spot, right? You put him at tight end coach, you put him at running back coach, right? Like, so having him at a vital position coaching spot, is weird now big ups to him for earning the spot like no no shade at him but i think if you're looking at building a staff it's a weird spot to put a recruit yeah it's carrington's you know chance right maybe he proves us all wrong and he's a great like you know technical uh footwork you know uh uh run fill yeah you know uh, <laughs> extraordinaire cornerback genius maybe i i i i i need to see it first um but yeah it's an interesting spot the only thing i can think is maybe when they have their defensive coordinator hire he's like a, a defensive backs or cornerbacks guy right and you can hide that way sometimes if your coordinator coach to position he'll often focus or have a kind of just an anchor in that position so maybe that's the writing on the wall I'm not sure but it, it's really interesting I didn't expect to see cornerbacks for him for, for samples at receiver that that makes a little bit of sense right like he is more of a recruiter than a coach at this point in his career but he just came back from a stint with the Rams right now the Rams had it a little bit of a less of a year than they did coming off the Super Bowl year, and I'm not blaming that on samples. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, he has he has some experience. He has some things that I think um, will, will translate well. So I'll be you know be rude for both of those guys as long as they don't go head to head with the with Texas on any of these recruits. Well, that's the scary thing is that those are two major inroads to Texas recruiting. So we'll see. We will see. All right, Gerald, let's just hit quick on the NFL Longhorns. Uh, we're getting towards the end of the season. Injuries are racking up. Um, we had a, a couple defensive guys, I think, are in the in the running for Player of the Week. Mine will go to Deshaun Elliott, the Joker. Again, former Raven, uh, doing well for the Lions this year. Uh, six tackles, one forced fumble. Just has been an ever-present coming off that injury. Big Ravens fan, obviously, so would have loved to have him there. But excited that he's having a really good year. He's been at least, if he hasn't been our Longhorn of the Week, he's been in contention multiple weeks. Well, it's it's hard when Deontay Foreman has been hogging it for like the last month, right? Yeah, sure. Um, but Joseph Osai also had a big week as well. Uh, he went one, 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 one tackle, one sack, one tackle for loss on a QB hurry, right? Doing what Joseph Osai does. Get after it, kid. Um, I really hope that that Cincinnati is is a you know long term good spot for him because that's a that's a fun team. Love to have him on it. Um, let's let's hit some of the other sports, some awards, and some things going on here. Uh, soccer, you know, we wrapped up the season a week or so ago, a little bit earlier than we wanted to, but the award season now is coming and rolling in. Trinity Byers was named the United 
soccer coach's uh, first team All-American, uh, just the second first team All-American in school history after Casey Moore in 06 and the 13th All-American overall in program history. She also was a semifinalist for the Mac Herman Trophy, which is basically the soccer Heisman. That'll be announced on January 6th. Um, and then there were a few other players who joined her on the uh, United Soccer Coaches All-Region teams. Uh, Byers herself, Missimo, MJ, All-First Team, uh, and, and Jilly Shimkin on the third team. So some well-deserved honors for those ladies. Much deserved. I think Texas, Texas, I think will continue to, to see their players, uh, in these conversations. Players, you know, getting on the all region team. You had Byers, Missimo, MJ Cox were all first teamers for that. So like the, Texas is a, not a sleeping giant, but a, uh, growing giant, a progressing giant, a, a Texas soccer is going to be a thing. Yeah. And Missimo led the conference in assists and, and missed multiple games in the middle of the season, right? I think she'll be in the all American conversation going forward. And, and again, it's not just her. It's, the, the club that her dad coached that's been the new pipeline. All three of those first teamers in Trinity Byers, Lexi Missimo, and MJ Cox came from Solar SC. So that connection and continuing to get some of those best players in that Dallas area. It's one of the best clubs, uh, youth clubs in the country. It's it's a great pipeline, and I think will continue for years to come. Ange Kelly has done a great job cultivating that relationship. Missimo was not just a recruit for herself. She brought a lot of friends with her. So um, that's that's a you know a good one for the future, I think. Rory Harmon was named to the Wade Trophy watch list, which again, we said soccer Heisman. This is equivalent, basically the women's basketball Heisman, one of 16 players on the watch list for the Player of the Year award. Only only one of five underclassmen. And then speaking of underclassmen, Christian Moss earned the low amateur at the 112th Investec South African Open Championship. The UT freshman becomes only the third amateur to win the uh, Brabozen Trophy with his five-stroke victory in May at the English Open, amateur stroke play, and the Freddie Tate Cup in the same calendar year the first guy to do it since charles Schwartzel in 02 if he has a career that's anything like that guy uh one of the great south african golfers then i think he's gonna be gonna be okay He's, he's a guy who Texas needs to have a big season. He led Texas uh, in the fall season with a 70, like 70.3 average. Again, Texas needs a big season from him if they're going to get anywhere close to what they did last year. Yeah, got to contribute uh, early and young. A um, couple awards, uh, or a couple awards just to run through quickly. Texas Diving uh, will receive the 2020. 2020- U.S. Diving Collegiate Impact Award, which recognizes the top contributing school on the 2020 U.S. Olympic diving team in Tokyo. So they'll get that award, which is fantastic. I actually didn't realize that, that Texas uh, was the the top contributing school uh, in the Olympics on, on the diving side. And then another uh, Olympic sport rowing news named Dave O'Neill, the coach of the year. Not just the, the collegiate coach, not just the women's uh, rowing coach at any level, collegiate or otherwise, men's or women's, he was their coach of the year for the performance he did with last year. Um, you know, some of his uh, obviously winning the national title, but then some of those uh, rowers going on to compete in the international level and just, uh, you know, assembled a great team and coached them on to greatness. So congrats to uh, both the diving team and Coach O'Neill. And then the final one, Gerald. Rankings are interesting, but I like this one. Texas commit Cedric Baxter earned his fifth star from on three, basically moving him to the now consensus. We've been saying it for a long time. Now it seems to be officially official number one running back in the 2023 class. Texas moving on from Ruben Owens and kind of letting him do his thing uh, at Louisville or wherever uh, and searching after Cedric Baxter. I'm not saying Ruben Owens is a knucklehead on the level of Zach Evans or we'll get to that level of trouble, but uh, it feels shades of Bijan and Zach Evans, all I'll say. You, you replaced the the number one running back with another number one, and, and that worked out well the, the last time. Uh 
Gerald, let's let's take it home here with a couple segments. Uh, since we're doing everything together in one show, we have two more segments. But Godzillatron, what are you watching your giant screen? Uh, we did a lot of streaming uh, this weekend. So our, our family night, pizza night, movie night um, was Claws, which if you haven't seen, it's a Netflix original. Um, really, really good. Uh, absolutely. I, I, it moves me to tears in a different spot every time. It's just a beautiful, beautiful family Christmas movie. Like, so good. Super, super good. My kids love it, so I'm totally fine with it. I leave the room sometimes. So I'm like, I don't want to cry right now, so like, let me just leave. Uh, my wife and I, in our uh, March through Hallmark movies, we do kind of one or two a week. Sweet Navidad was the one we watched this week. It's about um, a family baker who gets in over her head, catering or helping cater an event, and uh, obviously falls in love with her co-caterer doing that. But it's really it's cool. My wife, my, if you don't know, my wife's a first-generation American. Her dad uh, is from Venezuela, and so there's a lot of South American and cuisine and cuisine talking it so it was really fun uh to watch a big a big uh latin american family that we got to watch there um we also balanced the sweet and uh saccharine nature of that with nick kroll's latest stand-up special <laughs> which is the exact opposite of that um if there is anything that's a polar opposite of a hallmark christmas um rom-com it is nick kroll's <laughs> stand-up there like it, there was a it is blue. Like, do not watch it if you're not into, like, poop jokes and profanity. And, like, he has a really awesome thing about parenthood at the end. But it's, like, a lot, a lot, a lot of poop jokes. And it's very, very funny. I think poop jokes are hilarious. Um, and then we also watched the Gardens of the Galaxy Christmas special, which is on Netflix or on Disney. It's fine. It's it's okay. I mean, it's it's uh, very much a Christmas movie set in Gardens, Guardians of the Galaxy. You can tell that they shot it on like the off days of doing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, um, but it's very much a uh, Drax and Mantis vehicle, which I wasn't expecting. But Dave <laughs> Bautista continues to be hilarious, and his chemistry with with Palm, however you say her last name, is very very good. Love it. Um... Ooh, Nick Kroll stand-ups are always not for the faint of heart. Um, well, Gerald, I took my my beautiful wife uh, on a little date night. We go to like, I, like I don't know, a movie a year, maybe in the theaters, maybe. Uh, COVID has skewed things. Like because of COVID, we might have been to three films in the past five years, like in the theaters. It doesn't happen often, but of course we made it uh, finally out for Black Panther uh, two. And it was fantastic. We went to IPIC, which I had also never been to. If um, I don't know if that's a, a like a national chain or a regional chain or what exactly, but it's it's one of the kind of you know it's upscale. You're going to have your Alamo Drafthouse style. You're going to have your food uh, with with the show. It was it was fun. It was great. Um, you know, have a bottle of wine and watch that. Uh, really spectacular looking uh, film. I think really just didn't know where they were going to go. Ended up being incredibly emotional. I know Gerald talked about it already because he watched it. Um, as, as you should have right when it came out. We finally got there. We're still, still I think, in the box office numbers for them. Um, but it was a great film. If you still haven't seen it, go out and see it. See it in theaters. It's a really, really just... If you like superhero films, it's great. If you like films that uh, obviously have a, uh, a greater social message, it, it's, it's great at that, too. If you like films with, uh, that are, that are going to you know, make you laugh, make you uh, gasp, and, and uh, see some cool things, it's that, too. So definitely, definitely check it out. Um, the other movie that I watched was wild like i don't know how to describe it other than like it was sh- sh- shocking in every way and every detail it was shocking it was everything everywhere all at once um and, and it lived up to that i mean it, it, it like there are certain things like that i envy 
anyone who gets to have the experience of, of watching something for the first time, like I'll never get that again. It was so surreal. I didn't really know what to expect. Like I heard it was good, but I didn't, I did a good job staying spoiler free and didn't know what to expect. And so I really was thrown for loops. I like, guffawed and laughed you know out loud like spit take loud um at some of the ridiculousness um that they did and like was shocked and moved like it just it 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 was one of the most unique movie experiences i have seen and it takes a minute to like catch up with where it's going but by like the second half it's pretty um it's 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 like just scene for scene stride for stride it's incredible i mean it's 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 darn near perfect um i can't recommend it highly enough i'm not going to give any specific details to potentially spoil anything about it um it's not like a specific genre if you like this you like this it is its own thing and it's wild and it's surreal and it's crazy and it's amazing and you should absolutely watch it i know we need to move on but you mentioned like getting to see something for the first time for the first time and like that's one of those movies that i wish i could erase from my brain and see again for the first time simply because uh it was so good i i like you intentionally i i knew it was good i intentionally avoided as much of it as i could to see um to try to like keep myself from spoiling stuff but like just so stinky that movie's so good uh so good and also uh kihu kwan he was the wayman the guy who played wayman Mm -hmm. um seeing him get back into hollywood after kind of being ostracized for like 40 years so stinking cool so like good good on him like just an incredible movie um one of those experiences where like you're watching a movie and you know you're watching one of your new favorites like that's what i felt watching that but that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of our be- the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, we'd bang the drum on this week. I'm banging the drum on being over the Big 12. I know this is not a hot take. This is not a new take, but watch the Big 12 championship, and it was officiated in a way that is actually consistent with the way Big 12 refs have, have officiated at least Texas games that I've watched this year, um, the, the, the classic uh, specific referee crew who, who I think has like a 300 to one penalty uh, advantage against Texas TCU fans got to feel and even even Kansas State fans sometimes were, were perplexed but it felt like TCU got the Texas treatment of overwhelmingly like really that call against us too every single time it's it, it the the 50 50 calls go against us um and uh a crazy goal line stand ultimately led to kansas state winning that um but there were some calls including a false start and a touchdown and maybe safety some things that you know everything kind of went all over the place but either way i'm not only talking about officiating right the big 12 we know big 12 officials are absolute you know manure uh but the award season came out as well, and and there was initial outrage like this is really you can see so clearly the Big Twelve is against us, but but then you realize all the the award recognition came from the coaches, and and look there were some things that were correct right Bijan Robinson, Jatavian Sanders, Jalen Ford, Demarvin Overshin all making the the, the first team right the, okay. Great. 13 honorable mention um, or second team um, or three second team, 13 honorable mention, deserving right. A lot of guys. Probably, you know, Banks not being first team is the biggest snub there. You could argue Jade Bear not being second team is a pretty big snub. But the fact that, that, that Jalen Ford wasn't the defensive player of the year when he so clearly probably should be in conversation for national defensive player of the year and without a doubt is the, the Big 12 defensive player of the year, three-time defensive player of the week. And you, you initially said, look at the conference, you know, screwing us. And then you realize, no. This is the coaches of the other teams. And I don't think that's a coincidence either. I think the coaches of the other teams we have seen so clearly in their track record demonstrated for so long, they hate Texas. 
They hate us so much. They game plan their entire season against us. But then when you have stuff like not naming Jalen Ford or, again, Kelvin Banks putting up one of the best freshman seasons at his position in the history of college football and not being rewarded for a first team for it. It just feels like there's like a, if they can get away with not naming the Texas guy, they're going to do it. You can't get away with not naming Bijan. You can't get away with not putting Ford on that team. Really probably overshown, I guess. Maybe you could have tried to sneak someone else in there. Sanders, maybe. But I mean, those four were pretty dead solid perfect it was going to be hard not to name them but anywhere else it felt like they could skip they did and and that just i mean it's it's big 12 fans we've seen it for big 12 officials it seems like it's all the way up to the big 12 conference and it without a doubt is the other big 12 coaches it'll be so great to go to the sec where everyone is not just focused on beating texas there are bigger goals bigger things and other things to, to concern yourself with like i'm just so ready to be done with a stupid conference Part of the inherent flaw of not being able to vote for your own players is that you end up with, like, with nine teams, you have, like, three people vote for one, two people vote for one, and four people vote for another. So you didn't even really, like, need a majority of votes to win the Conference Player of the Year. That's the big flaw with the way the Big 12 does it. So, like, Sark couldn't vote for Jalen Ford. And so if three people voted for Jalen Ford and Sark threw away his vote and voted for, for uh, Felix, then that's probably why it had. I Like, I would have I would have been fine if it had been, like, Tyree Wilson sure. from Texas Tech. Sure. Like, that's a guy I could see an argument for. But I'll just go and say it more than 33% of his sacks came in one game. Like, it's trash. It is it is what it is. I'm going to bang the drum really quickly because we are running long and late. Uh, one thing we didn't mention during our NFL Longhorns is Chris Boyd. Um, and if you didn't see this over the weekend, um, and I'm going to get choked up talking about this, uh, Chris Boyd hosted one of the survivors of the Robb Elementary uh, shooting in Minnesota and his mom over the weekend. If you don't know, um, Jordan Olivares was one of the survivors of the shooting and his mom uh, was one of the first responders that showed up. And get choked up. So I'm going to make it quick. Um, he hosted them and honored them, like had them sign his cleats. And like, it was just, it was just an absolutely awesome thing. Um, it's all over the, the Viking social media. So if you haven't taken a moment um, to watch it, go and watch it. It's a tearjerker. Again, I'm getting like choked up recording it or we're talking about it. Um, so just go watch it. And, and it, it, that's all I'm going to say about that. Man, that's, that's really cool. I'm, I'm glad to see. Uh, Chris Boyd for governor, but no, I, yeah, uh, that's awesome. That's like Chris Boyd has not had a four time, five time pro bowl NFL career. He's sticking around. He's making plays, but doing stuff like that, man, that's the stuff that matters. Like who, who really cares at the end of the day, if you're a hall of famer, like if you leave UT and you graduate to be a hall of fame human being, that's, that's, that's worth it, man. That's really cool. I, I actually didn't see that Gerald until you just said that I'm going to go look it up. Um, but I, I got hit in the, in the feelers just, just hearing about it. So hope everyone takes a second and, and, and marinates on tough times, but actually good people and, and how we respond to tough times. Hug your kids, hug your family, tell them you love them at every opportunity. That's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. You may have noticed we were a day late with our recording this week. We'll be hitting Wednesdays, one recording a week for the next three weeks, basically the remainder of 2022. We'll have a National Signing Day preview for you. We'll also have, like I mentioned, our preview with our friends over at the Dog Pound ahead of the Alamo Bowl. Thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend. Until next time, hook em. Hook em. Stupid Illinois.